What's Shaking Fire Nation? JLD here with an audio masterclass with Jamin Brazil. We'll be chatting about the three things you need to make your customers love you. We're going to be talking about the three-legged stool of success and so much more. And who is Jamin? Well, he's worked with today's top brands, including Procter & Gamble, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Walmart. And software that he's developed is used by 75% of the Fortune 100 to help companies Companies make data-driven decisions and kick butt in today's highly competitive world. You don't want to miss this Masterclass Fire Nation. We're going to dive in when we get back from thanking our sponsor. Successful businesses rely on quality people because quality people will help your business scale and grow, but finding the right people can be tough. That's why I love ZipRecruiter. Its powerful technology scans thousands of resumes to identify people with the right skills and experience, and then actively invites them to apply for your job. That means you get quality candidates fast. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash fire. That's ziprecruiter.com slash fire. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So, Jamin, say what's up to Fire Nation and share something interesting about yourself that most people don't know. John, I have got to start with a huge thank you. And this is an honor to be on the show. Uh-huh. Fire Nation, what is up? I could not, t- cannot tell you how excited I am to be here today. <laughs> Sweet. A little known fact about me is I grew up in the 80s and there wasn't a lot to do in our free time. So my friends and I started playing Dungeons and Dragons and I fell in love with the whole fantasy genre, you know, Gary Gygax, etc. And um, still keep up on the D&D rule set to this day. Now, the reason I'm bringing it up is my sons who are now in high school are starting a Twitch channel and they're going to be featuring their old dad uh, dungeon mastering them through a couple of episodes. Oh man, that is going to be so cool. If it's out by the time this interview goes live, let's definitely link to it in the show notes because I know for one, I'd love to see that because I'm also a child of the 80s. Hello. I was actually born uh, December 16th, 1979. So I, I spent 15 days in the 70s and the rest of my childhood was spent in the 80s as well. So Dungeons and Dragons, I definitely played in Fire Nation. Whether you love Dungeons and Dragons or hate it or somewhere in the middle, this audio masterclass is going to be baller because we'll be talking about the three things that you need to make your customers love you. And Fire Nation, if your customers love you, believe me, you are winning at a massively high level period. So, Jamin, let's just dive right in. And I think to set the stage here, we need to hear your journey to becoming a CEO. Yeah, sure. So I grew up in a small rural community where, you know, I mean... Fres- in California. Fresno for us was a major city, let alone San Francisco or LA. Uh, so I had a real different point of reference. For me, being a CEO started in seventh grade, interestingly enough, where I had an hour-long commute to school on my bus and the bus took me, I was the first on and last off. Mm. The, the, the first week of that experience, I remember viscerally hating it. And then I got to know everybody and we had a good time. And then we got insanely bored about week two. And I'm like, how can I make this more interesting? And so I started buying specialty items at the local mall that were hard to get, uh, and you know, specialty candy and things like that. And I started selling them on the bus. I was making 
five to one returns on my money. And every Saturday I would get my big pile of money and I would go invest it in some sort of candies or toys or my favorite was Mr. Zog's sex wax, which is funny because there wasn't a beach <laughs> anywhere near us, but because it had sex in it, of course it was selling in junior high. And no, I have no idea what anybody did with it, by the way. And uh, yeah, so that was what gave me the entrepreneurial bug. You know, from there, I just always had a side hustle. I got a job doing primary market research in 1996, where I met uh, one of my uh, longest time and closest friends, Jamie Plunkett. And he and I uh, started doing surveys together. This is back in the pencil and paper days, John, which, I mean, it was, it was tough. It's three, it took three months to, from inception of a, a business need to uh, actually getting that insight into the business so they could react and do something with it uh, through the traditional methods. And, and so I wound up, I wound up uh, doing my first online survey in 1996, July of 1996, actually, which was probably one of the very first online surveys um, ever, ever done. And I remember I won, it was a $20,000 project. I won the project on Monday. I programmed it Tuesday, fielded it Wednesday, did the analysis Thursday and presented to the board of directors who made a decision on Friday. My total costs were $200. Now you figure out the gross margin. It was <laughs> insane, insane, right? And so, yeah. So I fell in love with um, online research in those days. It was a little early. Um, and then, but uh, left that company. And in April of 2000, started a company called Decipher. Decipher is used now by 75% of the Fortune 500 and probably every single person in Fire Nation has taken a survey on the platform. It's a little bit um, uh, quiet from a brand perspective as a, just because it's white labeled, and, uh, but it's, it's used more for institutional data collection purposes, a little bit boring there. But uh, yeah, grew, bootstrapped that company, no outside investment. Grew it, sold it a couple of times, became the CEO of the company that bought us, and then left that job in September of last year. I mean, that journey, Fire Nation, to me, I just really sparks my entrepreneurial flames. And it's just as like, man, can I just start over, over and over again? Like, how many times can I just oh. start over, press the reset button, yes. especially, Jamin, with what we know now, right? I mean, that just would make oh. it so much more fun. So, so much more fun. And so much scarier, too, right? Because in your mid-40s, when you start, Okay, but I want to set the stage. So April of 2000, I'm, I've got uh, two months of uh, bankroll, and that's it. I've saved, scrimped, uh, everything I could. I had a computer, internet access. I didn't even, I had a one-bedroom apartment that was shared with my co-founder, Jamie Plunkett. And literally, it was like there was the bed, and then there was a desk, and I didn't even have room for a chair, right? So, you know, you're 28, you're starting, you're rocking and rolling. There's no expectations. But when you start again, like I have recently, it's a little bit terrifying because you immediately have these expectations of, you know, what's he going to do? What's nice. the next thing, right? So true. And Fire Nation, yes, experience is one thing, but then expectations is a whole other thing. And for many of you Fire Nation faithful, you will definitely remember the first 2,000 episodes of Entrepreneurs on Fire. So 2,000 straight days from 2012 all the way up to April 13th of 2018, we did a daily show and I asked my guest the question, what is your worst entrepreneur story. And when I shifted back on April 13th to an audio masterclass show, 
I don't ask that question anymore and I miss it because there's so much value in hearing that worst entrepreneurial story from a guest that's been there, done that, and is now rocking it and is truly an entrepreneur on fire. So I was so fired to see that you wanted to talk about this, Jamin. So let's dive into that. Let's dive into your worst entrepreneurial story. Oh my gosh, this this is for me the pivotal moment. It wasn't when I started the company, it was what happened 12 months later. So you know, I started my company in the height of the dot-com craziness. And I thought I was the smartest guy in the world. I'm not going to lie. I was a little bit prideful at that point in time. We did a million dollars in revenue from April 2000 to December of 2000. And with marquee brands like Disney and Intuit and others. And so as, I mean, I just felt like, in fact, if an MIT recruited me to come speak on how to bootstrap a company to a million dollars in 12 months. I mean, that's how big of a deal I thought, (laughs) you know, my head was really big. And then there was this pivotal moment where we had hired eight staff. We were driving up to this corporate retreat. We had hired a big marketing agency to help us do a rebrand. We were really ready to rock and roll. And my phone rang for three hours straight on that drive up to the high Sierras. By the time I arrived, I had lost 93% of my business. It was catastrophic. But that actually wasn't the worst part. The worst part is what wound up happening afterwards. Instead of cutting my costs, instead of originally growing smart over my uh, uh, fast running to revenue, Um, I burned through my cash. And within three months, my business partner, Jamie Plunkett, and I looked at our books and we realized not only did we not have any money, but we had accumulated almost $100,000 in debt. And that taught me one lesson, which is you always, when you're starting a business, you run to revenue, but you race to profit. Had I been smart with controlling my cost basis, I would have been healthy enough to have survived that period of time and would have been able to keep on most of those employees uh, that, I would have, that I would have hired. So, I mean, I just can't underscore this enough. If you are starting a business, Fire Nation, absolutely get to re- revenue, whatever it takes, get there, but then get to profit and make sure you're operating inside of your means. Well, so I do love this phrase, run to revenue, then race to profit. Let's maybe kind of break down a specific example of a way that you've done it in the past or a way that you've admired somebody else doing that, maybe a client or a customer or just some you know person you've worked for. Like what exactly can that look for, the run to revenue, then the race to profit? I'll tell you exactly what it looks like. So, so for me right now, starting the Happy Market Research podcast, which is my, my current adventure, I'm really excited about it. The... In, I knew that I was going to have a burn rate for three months and I knew that at the, and I, there's just no way around it. I could not monetize what I was doing in that time frame, And I had specific linchpins that I call them red handles that I had put in place. And if these key red handles weren't, or key milestones weren't addressed, then I would pull the red handle and cut costs. So one of my red handles was I need to have three marquee interviews on my podcast within the first three months. And so far we've got Buzzfeed done in the bag produced today, actually that we're recording this LinkedIn head of insights from LinkedIn is going to be published. So we've got the marquee brands. I've got six others now that are interviews that are scheduled. 
And so that's a, and I know that if I'm providing value to my customers or to my listeners in this case, being uh, insights professionals, that I'm going to be able to monetize the podcast, right? So that's one. The second one for me is, do I actually have somebody that's going to buy something from me? And again, I put that time frame of three months on that as well. And so far, I've had three companies that have unsolicitedly approached me asking if they could sponsor shows. So it was checking that box for me as well. So I think a lot of times as an entrepreneur, you just are so focused on getting to the revenue or just doing stuff and, and moving forward that you forget about, listen, you've got a finite amount of money and you've got a finite, amount, a finite amount of time in order to get to profit so that you are safe and can breathe a little bit uh, and have that uh, comfort, if you, want, if you want to call it that, uh, to be able to operate your business. So Fire Nation, run to revenue, then race to profit. And I love how you talked about those red handles. And then Fire Nation, the key point, do I have a company or you know a customer that is willing to buy something from me? And let's maybe talk a little bit more about specific tactics right here, Jamin. I mean, what would you recommend for Fire Nation as a way for them to validate that, to test that out, to make sure that they can check this block? I'm a data guy, so I'm big into testing things. I come up with uh, a hypothesis, hypothesis, excuse me, and then I test it. So I have an idea and I put that idea out to the market, whether it's even if it's just at a conceptual level, I'll ask my, my LinkedIn connections, hey, what do you think about this? And then if the feedback is positive, then I will see about taking it to the next level. Just like my monetization approach with the podcast is a good example. I have some trusted advisors who I think could be good clients. I asked them, what do you think about the monetization opportunity? And they said, sign me up, right? So um, I, I, really, I really believe in co-creating with customers and that will help you identify the gaps that they are experiencing in their businesses and help you meet those, develop products and services that meet their needs. So I do love that. I love that phrase, co-creating with customers, Fire Nation. And if you do that and you identify their gaps, and what's another word for gaps? Um, struggles, obstacles, challenges, then what can you do? You can provide a solution to them in the form of a product or a service or a community or a sponsorship or fill in the blank. So when you co-create, you're going to identify those gaps, those struggles, those obstacles, and then you, Fire Nation, the person who, by the way, is co-creating with them, can provide that solution. Now, one thing that uh, I'm a little surprised Jamin didn't talk about giving his background, but hey, run a survey. Run a survey to your audience. <laughs> I mean, that can be a great way to get some feedback where you don't have to do it necessarily as much one-on-one -on -one as just saying, hey, I would just love if you guys took a couple minutes to fill this quick survey. You can learn a ton of stuff there. And Jamin, I'm the same way, but you really are big into knowing thy dollar, like really knowing oh. the value of the dollar and the value totally. of all of that. So yeah, really break totally. that down for us. What does that mean? Almost every single entrepreneur, even at a, like a, and, and sales executive misses one of the key points in sales, which is know the dollar. Corporations and individuals have budgets, and we oftentimes live our lives confined to those budgets. So my wife and I have a $200 a month entertainment budget that we usually spend 
on dinner and a movie and a babysitter. And so, you know, in, in a framework where dollars are budgeted, if you have a new product or service or want to acquire a new customer, they already have a budget and they are spending their dollars that are allocated for that thing that you want to sell them for something else. It isn't yours yet and you have to earn it. And a lot of times what I hear when people pitch me they're paying attention to me at an emotional level, like, oh, this is going to be great for you and this is going to improve. But they're not thinking about how do I compete against dinner? How do I compete against a movie? And how do I compete against a babysitter? And I'm going to give you a really practical example. So uh, my boys and I, they're, they're teenagers, as I mentioned, and we're into karate. And so uh, karate is this relatively expensive sport, right? So $100 or so a month. And at our dojo, Guido's Martial Arts, they, um, you know, they do a free parents' night out once a month. And what that is, is you can drop your kids off and you and your wife for three hours, go do whatever you want and then come back. And so what he's done effectively is he's lowered his overall monthly cost because now that's you know, 60 or even a hundred dollars that I'm not spending on a babysitter that I can then justify to spend at his dojo. It happens exactly the same way in corporate America. Large companies have fiscal budgets that are established annually. And if you go into pitch for some of those dollars, they're not willy nilly going to just, Oh, wow, that's a great idea. I want to try, I want to try that. You have got to pitch against those budgeted dollars in order to do that successfully, you have to pitch against the current incumbent where those dollars have been spent. Now, Fire Nation, I love that example. If you think about your customer, what can you do to lessen their actual budgeted dollars? I mean, think about when Jamin had already budgeted 60 to 100 bucks to hire a babysitter to come in when he wanted to take his wife out for dinner. Now he has this built-in date night that, yeah, he might be spending a couple hundred bucks or more to you know a month on the karate, but he can take away that 60 that $100 that he would have been otherwise paying a babysitter and justify. And believe me, as human beings, we love justifying. We love that mm-hmm. word. We love justifying. So make it easy for your potential customers to justify and look for ways that your competition's not doing that and do that. It's a great, great strategy. And I just have to ask, have you seen the new Karate Kid on YouTube? I'm going to be really embarrassed right now and tell you I have not seen it Don't yet. be embarrassed. I was I, just curious with the Karate family, I would have figured that you guys would have been oh, all over so that. We are, we're going to, our plan is to binge it. And that's why we haven't yet. We just haven't had the weekend to be able there to do that. So we had a is. tournament this weekend and it's supposed to be in three more. So good. I actually uh, just got done binging How I Met Your Mother and I totally oh, had forgotten. Yeah. That in the last, uh, very last season, the last few episodes, that guy, Johnny the, from Karate Kid is actually a pretty big character in the last few episodes, which I totally forgot about, which is pretty cool. Uh, so Fire Nation, we have so much more value coming your way. I mean, we're going to be talking about how Jamin transitioned from an actual CEO back to being an entrepreneur. We're going to be talking like right now, what is Jamin doing that can be of value to us as listeners to learn from him and the strategies that he's employing. And we're going to be talking about the three-legged stool of success and so much more more when we get back from thanking our sponsor. So Fire Nation, we're here with Ian Siegel, the CEO of ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And Ian, you spent so much time in the hiring space. What is the biggest challenge employers face today when hiring? 
90% of companies say finding qualified and available candidates is their number one pain point. At ZipRecruiter, we used to say that we were going to solve the quality problem with volume. If you'd asked me a year ago, I would have said, you know, we deliver haystacks, we don't deliver needles. In the last couple of years, we've made the largest investment our company ever has in any particular piece of technology, and it's all centered around algorithms that help match your job to exactly the right candidates in market as soon as your job is posted. The experience you have on ZipRecruiter as an employer is simple. Post your job, and we will within minutes have notified all the candidates in market who are a just right fit for the opportunity that you have open, and you will see them start to apply that same day. No more posting and praying. ZipRecruiter makes it easy to find qualified candidates. Fire Nation, I hope you're tuning in here. I don't want you to struggle hiring because of too many unqualified applicants. It is such a waste of time to sift through the wrong candidates. And if there's one thing entrepreneurs can't afford, it's wasting time. This is why ZipRecruiter's matching algorithm is awesome. It saves a lot of time and a hassle because they focus on sending only qualified candidates. Here's how ZipRecruiter finds you quality candidates. ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right skills, education, and experience and actively invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. It's no wonder ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the US and this is based on Trustpilot ratings of hiring sites with over 1,000 reviews. And right now, Fire Nation, you can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to this exclusive web address, ziprecruiter.com slash fire. That's ziprecruiter.com slash F-I-R-E. Ziprecruiter.com slash fire. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So Fire Nation, we're back. And Jamin, you transitioned. You made that transition from CEO back to entrepreneur. You know, we've talked about the worst entrepreneurial story. Like we really got deep into that. What are you doing now? What are you rocking today? So I started a podcast. I've got uh, three employees plus myself, and we are working on a vlog, which is really the telling the story of how to create, how we created Happy Market Research podcast. And then we're facilitating a conversation between insight pros in major brands like Uber and you pick the company, Pepsi, et cetera. And then what CEOs are delivering in the agency level. So thinking about like Ipsos or Toluna or you fill in or you, know, you fill in the major market research company. So what's happened is there's been a major disruption in the market research space where companies like SurveyMonkey and others have made research accessible to everybody. You know, it used to be the case that it was the sage on a hill who had had the consumer insight. But now through these tools, anybody from the intern to the CEO can conduct research. And it's actually being done like that. And so market research companies are, are floundering a little bit trying to understand where they can add value to brands. And there are ways that they can add value to brands. What I'm doing now is helping facilitate that conversation between the two companies. And then as uh, we continue to scale our listener base, then we'll also be branching out into some marketing services over the next two years. Transitioning from CEO back to entrepreneur, was there anything surprising for you in that transition? Because you had already been an entrepreneur, then you went the CEO route, then you went back to being an entrepreneur. Like, was there something that you were just like, wow, this is interesting that I didn't really expect? I just kind of always love those nuances, those surprises. 
I always thought I was working for a dollar, but in truth, I was working for building some legacy. And with that framework, it informs everything I do now uh, from a business perspective. And I would say like just a practical example of what that looks like, the importance of, and this is a popular term, radical candor, and in a, in a way that's uh, productive and, and positive with employees and and potential customers, right? So, you know, a lot of times I've found myself just trying to be nice to people, but it really serves as a disservice. And so the more honest I am, and again, in, a, in the spirit of kindness, then the more opportunity they have to improve or uh, the faster I'm able to come to, is this a fit for me from a customer perspective? Let's talk about the three-legged stool of success. Break it down for us. Let's go through one by one by one. So this was taught to me by, by one of my previous board members who's an early stage Google employee. In fact, he was um, part of the integration team of YouTube and, um, and did some other pretty substantial things like started Google Analytics. Um, he taught me that there are three core elements of any company's success. And I just sort of coined it as the three-legged stools of success. That is, you need to place your bet, you need to build a moat around your customers, and you need to be excellent. So as I expand on that a little bit, thinking about the bets, a lot of times as an entrepreneur, and I've struggled with this even now, I see something shiny, like an opportunity to make a dollar, and I want to go after it. But it winds, can wind up being a rabbit hole where I wind up losing time, precious time, and resources, very precious resources. And it actually winds up setting me back. So Example that, that I like to use is when Google did the acquisition of YouTube, they had over 10 different product lines that were currently being monetized and they decided to consolidate them into one, which obviously ad revenue being, being it. In that, in that framework, they said, okay, so what do we actually care about? What are we going to measure? What is our KPI or key performance indicator? And you think about how complex that question is for a company like YouTube. And they landed on number of videos uploaded per day, which is a little counterintuitive because it's not directly linked to ad revenue, right? But they, the reason they did that is because they knew that if they had the preferred platform for content creators, that it would create that they would attract the best and the most content and then have the most eyeballs. And now what is it like over 30% of the internet? So that bet certainly paid off for them. So you need to focus, you need to know what your bet is, and then you need to go all in on that specific bet. The, the, second, the second thing I want to talk about is, is moats, right? So you need to have a customer, you need to have protection, a wall. You know, our clients, they afford us not just revenue and income, but lifelong friendships. I've spent almost two decades, I've over two decades now in the research space. And, you know, the people that are leaders inside of the research space today, I mean, we were interns, right, in the early 2000s and late 90s. So, you know, the, our customers are our lifeblood, not just today, not just yesterday, but for our entire career. And it is vital that we protect those and build a moat so that other companies that are trying to compete against us can't penetrate and I'll talk more about that in ways we can do it in just a minute. But then the, the third question, this or third point, I should say, or leg of the stool is, are we excellent? 
Most entrepreneurs, like most large businesses, default to yes, as long as there's revenue. But revenue is what's called a lagging indicator or an indicator that has of what has already happened. It is not a forward-looking or leading indicator for the business in terms of how are we going to perform. It's nice. We need it. It's really important. I completely agree. Revenue is key, but we have to drive our businesses, not in reverse, but in drive. And the way to accomplish that, the way to quantify a, are we excellent, in my opinion, is to do a survey as simple as a customer satisfaction survey. In fact, I was just uh, meeting with Roher Verholst at LinkedIn, the director of insights, and he said this exact thing to me that uh, LinkedIn looks at revenue, but they care more about customer satisfaction when it comes to the insights function. And you have got to drive that positive customer experience through data. And nowadays, John, it is super easy to be able to do that through, as you've already mentioned, various free survey tools. So Fire Nation, your three-legged stool of success, know your bets and go all in. I mean, my bet back in 2012, Fire Nation, was I'm going to be the only daily podcast interviewing entrepreneurs. I knew my bet. I went all in, Fire Nation, go all all in and then have a wall, have a moat around what you're doing. And I'm going to hand that back to you in a second, Jamin, to talk a little bit more about that because you mentioned you have something Mm -hmm. to add there. And then finally, Fire Nation, are you excellent? Are you excellent? Are you great at what you do? And by the way, that's another reason why I love doing a daily podcast because I was anything but excellent as a podcast host back in 2012, back at episode one, back at episode 11, back at episode 115, but I did it every single day and I got a little bit better every single time. And here we are, episode 2054, and it's like, okay, I've put in the time now, I've gotten a little bit better. So circle back to anything you want, Jamin, but specifically, I definitely want to make sure we talk about that moat. So there's lots of different ways in order to protect customers. I think, you know, there's about a 40% chance that a company, or excuse me, that a person, a buyer is going to come back for a second experience uh, with your product or service. So uh, if you have a, I'll use the example of a flower shop. If you have a flower shop and somebody comes in and they're a first time buyer uh, and they buy some flowers from you, right? There's a 60% chance they're not going to come back that they're not going to come back and uh, connect with you and, and give you another opportunity to buy. And so what you've got to do is you've got to start stacking the cards in your favor to improve the probability of a second time in the shop. That is where it is absolutely vital that you do something intentional, like give them $5 off on that one purchase and then give them another a free set of uh, you know, free bouquet for the second time into the shop, right? You need to set up whatever's comfortable for you and fits your vibe and feels organic, no pun intended, and so that you can make sure that you're building a long-term relationship with that client. That is a moat, right? Because there's lots of flower shops, just like there's lots of survey companies. There's hun- literally hundreds of survey companies. The reason that mine was successful in the and is simply because I took the time to build these kinds of practical moats around my customers, which then entrenched them in the habit of purchasing from me. And I think a lot of times small businesses, you know, friends of mine, even that run small businesses, 
they forget that they actually have the power to control that second, that third, that fourth visit in order to get them back in. In fact, one of my friends owns a restaurant. She takes pictures of the people that come in as first time guests and puts them up on the wall. Right. Uh, and if you come in at a third time, then you get a picture on the ceiling. So it's this whole, you know, and it's this whole viral effect. Now people want to take pictures right. of pictures of themselves and now they're <laughs> posting on Instagram, et cetera. Right. So, so you got this like beautiful sort of self-perpetuating. And, it, and I think we really need to be creative, Fire Nation, when it comes to how do we get that second, that repeat purchase experience. So Fire Nation, I hope you just understood those three legs there of that three-legged stool of success. Again, know your bet, go all in, have that wall, have that moat, and of course, be excellent. And then I just love those self-perpetuating viral things like, you know, Jamin just ended with about people taking pictures of their picture. I mean, that just becomes a thing and it's so cool. And Jamin, you've always been a big picture guy. Like you've always been a big thought kind of guy. So give us Fire Nation a parting big thought. Really break it down for us. If you are not doing customer satisfaction, even if you're a small company with only 10 clients, then it's like sailing a ship without a rudder. I cannot underscore the importance that my, des- I'm going to summarize it in one word, Amazon. Amazon. Right? I mean, that's just it. So much spend is moving more and more to Amazon. I mean, they're even beating Google at this game. And so in that, in this world where we're competing against the company that is the biggest and smartest, fastest growing The one thing we can control is that customer experience and we sure as heck better be measuring it and treating it seriously because it is our religion. If if we do not systematically ask our customers how that experience was and where we can improve and then make those changes, then we're going to lose. And my bet, and the reason actually it's funny, the reason that I wound up quitting as CEO because I was dealing with only large businesses and my passion is where the is is the heartland. My passion is in the streets. I mean, we have got to empower these uh, small mom and pop companies to be successful, to create sustain sustainability inside of our uh, inside of our nation. And I believe, honestly, one of the big missing pieces in the whole equation is systematic customer satisfaction. Fire Nation, if you're not doing customer satisfaction, it is like you are sailing a ship without a rudder and nobody wants that rudderless ship. And it's so true. Sum it up with one word, Amazon. Fire Nation, Amazon will eat everybody's lunch if you let them, period, end of story. But guess what? You can win at customer satisfaction. You will win at customer satisfaction if you care, if you have a strategy. And Jamin, you dropped so many value bombs so far. What is that amazing special offer that you have for Fire Nation? So when I realized I was going to have the opportunity and honor to be on this show, I reached out to the CMO of SurveyMonkey and I said, you have got to give me something so that I can push it through to Fire Nation. This is going to have value to not just Fire Nation, but to all of our customers, all of our relationships that that we have. Uh, And so to that end, we have created a uh, micro site where we are, I am personally taking three companies from not doing customer satisfaction 
So employing customer satisfaction in their organization or their company, and then the, the outcome of that, how that's impacted their business. So I have two videos. One is what I described. The second one is how you fire nation in only two hours for free can create your own customer satisfaction system and then execute it for less than an hour a month for free. So my hope is that you'll take advantage of this offer. Just to give you some context, tens of thousands of dollars is what I charge, not can charge or have charged, what I charge big companies for this type of content. And I am literally setting it up and giving it to Fire Nation for free. Wow. To get there, you've got to go to my first and last name, which is Jamin Brazil. That's J-A-M-I-N, Brazil like the country, dot com slash fire. Fire Nation, jaminbrazil.com slash fire. That is the URL that's going to take you to that promised land. And Jamin, one more time, you did a good job, but just take one more time. Tell us exactly what we're going to be getting when we go there. I have partnered with SurveyMonkey to offer an exclusive guide to Fire Nation on how you can create and use customer satisfaction to not just protect, but grow your customers for free. Mm. This is a... Uh, offer exclusive to Fire Nation. It consists of a set of videos. It will take you less than two hours to go through the steps that I articulate on this webpage, create your own customer satisfaction uh, system, and then watch your customers not just come back, but increase their spend with you month over month over month. Fire Nation, that's jaminbrazil.com slash fire, J A M I N. Brazil, B-R-A-Z-I-L dot com slash fire. And you better believe I'm doing this Fire Nation. So I really hope you realize it's worth your time to do this because again, he charges $10,000 to clients for a very similar service. So Fire Nation, remember, please, that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You've been hanging out with JB and JLD today, so keep up the heat. And if you head over to eofire.com, type Jamin, J-A-M-I-N, in the search bar. Everything we've talked about today is going to be linked up in those show notes. But again, the strong call to action is jaminbrazil.com slash fire. Get over there. Customer satisfaction will make you win Fire Nation. It is the important part in your stool of success. So, Jamin, I just want to say thank you, brother, for sharing your truth with Fire Nation today. For that, we salute you, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Fire Nation. Have a wonderful, successful day. Hey, Fire Nation, today's value bomb content was brought to you by Jamin Brazil. And if you're ready to discover your big idea in just one hour or less, I have an amazing system that's going to get you there, Fire Nation. And then the sky is the limit. And the best part is, it is, is that it is free, 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 F-R-E-E. So just visit yourbigidea.io for this free training, Fire Nation. And I will catch you there or I'll catch you on the flip side. 
In business, there are smart moves and not so smart moves, like getting bogged down with hundreds of resumes from candidates who aren't the right fit. That's not smart. Luckily, there's a smart way to hire at ZipRecruiter because its powerful technology scans thousands of resumes to identify people with the right skills and experience and then actively invites them to apply to your job. That means you get quality candidates fast. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash fire. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash fire. ZipRecruiter. Once again, the smartest way to hire.